0: This show contains language that is unsuitable for we're children. Welcome to Straight Vibes, No chasers. Raw talk on coming out of the closet about our fears and why we're so helping or resisting our highest good. This podcast focuses on the African-American experience concerning fear and our long-standing romance with mediocrity. You can follow and comment on the show topics on Instagram at sbnc underscore podcast or go to pennymurray.com where you can also find out more about Dr. Murray's work, her book, Giving Myself Permission, and The Learning Spa, Inner Wellness and Cultural Incubation Center. Now, here's your host, Dr. Penny Murray.
1: Hey, and welcome to Straight Vibes, No Chasers from Dallas, Texas. In this month of June, I want to recognize two of the holidays and that happened in this month. First, Father's Day. So I recognize the dads who consistently take an active part in loving and nourishing their children to their fullest potential. I also want to recognize Juneteenth. I'll be talking about this momentous and newly acknowledged federal holiday in a little bit. But there is a burden and beauty in our unique ability as humans to deal with emotional pain. The burden is we seem to live in the past or the moments when emotional injuries occurred. We tend to hold on to them or have some sense of loyalty to them. These painful moments get lodged in our souls like pieces of emotional shrapnel. But the beauty is we have the ability to process that pain until we can reconcile with it and heal. We do the work because as spirit beings, we are inherently meant to evolve. I'm your host, Dr. Penny Murray. When an explosive device goes off, the effects of that energy go beyond its point of origin. Fragments or shrapnels will damage anything or anyone in the surrounding area. And those fragments while they may be small can be fatal or penetrate so deeply and it can be there over time for so long that the outer matter will web over it i'm quite sure you've heard stories where uh, where shrapnel or a bully fragment were left in a person's body because the doctors couldn't get it out safely i've even heard a doctor say that the fragment might work itself out over time where it could be safely removed But what if we applied that scenario to our life experiences, our relationships, situations, hell, our own choices that exploded and left emotional injury to ourselves and others around us? Think about that. There are pieces of emotional shrapnel that have lodged in our souls and are left there in hopes they might work themselves out in a safe way. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but as I have become more sincere and serious about healing myself, which means acknowledging the part I've played in situations, those deeply embedded emotional fragments are being dislodged. And as they work themselves out to the surface, sometimes it's very painful, but those painful experiences create insight that is quite valuable. I've also been in situations where I'm already working through my shit, trying to heal myself. And another person's explosive behavior causes my healing process to be even more painful. Now, this is part two of my Confessions of a Wounded Messenger. What prompted me to make part two was my divine allies asking me a simple yet very provocative question. See, over the last five months, I've experienced sudden strange emotional explosions from my children, grandchildren, and sisters, and these explosions have left fragments of emotional shrapnel deep in my heart and soul, and it has been very painful. Being blindsided and shocked by this, I, I was stressed out because it didn't really seem anything had occurred that would have warranted these emotional attacks, And so of course, me being me, I immediately got stressed out and, and tried to, uh, be more loving towards them. And unfortunately they rejected my efforts. As I was reflecting on each of these incidents, I began to question whether I might have said or done something unconsciously, maybe in the past that offended them i was I was really stressing, trying to figure out what I could do to change their attitude towards me and then my divine allies asked me, "But what do you want?" <laughs> y'all the conversation with my divine allies shocked me, just left me stunned. But before I get into that, I got to do my two cents, my contribution to Black History 365. And since I live in Texas, I primarily focus on the African-American contributions, sacrifices, and little known history facts here in the state. Now in this episode, I'm sharing interesting facts about Juneteenth. Now I've said this before, I love doing this segment Because it's fascinating how little Black Americans know about our own history and how determined the white privilege machine wants to keep it that way. But here on Straight Vibes No Chasers, it's about supporting the wake-up call happening in the Black community. So I hope you guys are listening for the call. All right, it's Monday, June 19th, 1865 when General Gordon Granger of the Union Army and his soldiers roll up on the state of Texas. Now, the reason for their presence is to ensure that all blacks held in slavery in the state had been appropriately released. Two years prior, President Abraham Lincoln had issued an Emancipation Proclamation, which occurred on September 22, 1862 which then went into effect January 1st, 1863. That freed the slaves. Now, just a side note here. The Emancipation Proclamation ended slavery in the Confederate states. It did not end slavery in the states that remained in the Union. But the Union Army had the task of reinforcing the release of Black slaves in the Confederate states. And when they got to Texas, they found that the slave population had increased and on top of that, none of the slaves had been freed. So what Granger does is that he gets up and he reads general order number no. three publicly. So everybody, slaves and all, could hear it. And in short, it said, in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free." Now, just imagine the shock, maybe even hostility. African-Americans felt at that time when the reality hit them that for two and a half years, they had been working and were treated as slaves when in fact, they were free people. Now, that would have been my attitude, okay? I would have been mad. But instead, in the book, Lone Star Past, Memory and History in Texas, a former slave by the name of Felix Hayward gives an account of the first celebration on June 19th, 1865. He said, we was all walking on golden clouds. Everybody went wild. We was free. Just like that, we was free. I guess I I really can understand and relate to that. I'm quite sure none of those people were worried about being angry. The freedom that they had prayed for and longed for for so long had happened. So there was no time for anger. They wanted to celebrate their freedom. There are a few explanations for why it took so long for the news to reach Texas. One claim is is that the messenger en route to Texas to deliver the information was murdered on his way there. Okay, it's believable, I guess. But anyway, many historians note that Texas remained a Confederate state until 1865 when Robert E. Lee finally surrendered and the Union Army took control of the state. But up until then, the state would have been defiant and would, would have really refused to carry out any of Lincoln's orders or laws and certainly a proclamation to free their slaves. Historians also reported that many slave owners in Texas withheld information about the proclamation of freedom from the slaves to maintain their free labor force. Now, Juneteenth has been known by several names, Jubilee Day, Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, or Black Independence Day. It's also considered America's second Independence Day, and it's the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of ending slavery in the United States. Juneteenth celebrations declined during the 20th century because of Jim Crow laws. It was revived in 1968 during the Civil Rights Movement. African-American historian and Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates Jr. writes that over generations, Juneteenth became a time for gathering lost family members, measuring progress against freedom, and instilling in the younger generation uh, values of self-improvement and ethnic enrichment. During Juneteenth celebrations, there is a tradition of having red foods and drinks. Now, I did not know this. But things like red velvet cake, strawberry ice cream, barbecue, red fruits, punch, and sodas, these were all a part of the Juneteenth celebration. Now, it's suggested that the practice of eating red foods came from enslaved Africans uh, from Yoruba and the Congo that were brought to Texas in the 19th century. For both of these cultures, the Congo and, the, and Yoruba, there The red is the embodiment of spiritual power and transformation. Many of the charms and power objects the ancestors used to call upon spirit energies required a red handkerchief. The custom is also a nod to the two red drinks native to West Africa that enslaved Africans brought to the United States and the, uh, the Caribbean South, hibiscus tea and kola nut tea. Even though it's been an official state holiday in Texas since 1980, African-Americans were often prohibited from using public facilities to celebrate the holiday. So in response to that, farmer slaves Richard Brock, Richard Allen, Elias Dibley, and Jack Yates bought 10 acres of land in Houston, Texas, specifically for the Juneteenth celebration. The park is now known as Emancipation Park. Now, each year, a Juneteenth flag raising ceremony is held in Galveston, Texas. It was common for formerly enslaved African-Americans and their descendants to make a pilgrimage to Galveston, Texas in honor of that day. Now, the Juneteenth flag was created in 1977 by activist Ben Haith founder of the National Juneteenth Celebration Foundation, and illustrator Lisa Janae Graff. The flag's color scheme of red, white, and blue was deliberate. It was to echo the American flag, to symbolize that the people that were forced into slavery and their descendants are and will forever always be Americans. The white star in the center symbolizes Texas, Surrounding the Texas star is a white bursting kind of outline. And it's said that this bursting silhouette was inspired by ANOVA, which is a astronomical event that marks the birth of a new star. Now, in this instance, it symbolizes the birth of a new way of life for African-Americans in the United States. Along the intersection of the red and blue colors that extend across the flag's width, the red section arches to symbolize the new horizon against the blue sky. And again, the new beginning for African Americans. Overall, the Juneteenth flag is a symbolic reminder of the United States' continued responsibility to do right by Black Americans affected by the current injustices that have not yet been fully dismantled. Now I can't imagine anybody looking at the Juneteenth flag and being reminded that there's still a debt the United States has to black Americans. I mean, that's just me. (laughs) But anyway, on June 17th, 2021, President Biden signed the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, officially marking Juneteenth a federal holiday. Now for part two of my confession in last month's episode, I confessed that my divine allies said like Jonah, I was running from my divine calling and they were right. They also revealed to me that my running was tied to feelings of unworthiness and shame that have caused me to doubt myself, believing I was incompetent or unqualified to step into my calling. Again, They were right. It was hurtful realizing that I was still sabotaging myself. Working through and processing those previous revelations caused me to recognize the recurring patterns of emotional outbursts from my children, grandchildren, and and one of my sisters. And each emotional explosion was followed by their leaving on bad terms and not wanting to speak to me again. I was blindsided because from what I could see, there was no cause for these emotional attacks. And I immediately felt guilty because I was caught off guard. Feeling guilty, I'm thinking I might have unconsciously done something that offended them. So at the time, my actions and words took on a tone of what could I do to fix this? Or if I did something wrong, please give me grace because I would have never done anything intentionally to harm you. But my actions and my words were disregarded. I attempted to shield myself from their verbal abuse by trying to reason with them and show them even more love and compassion. That too was rejected, which really hurt even more. Now reflecting over each of these situations, I realized my feelings of guilt and failure were triggered. My heart was aching. These are people I deeply love. How could they suddenly turn on me without cause and then be so callous about it as to dismiss me as though I was had no value? Continuing to to minister to my feelings I spent more time looking at this recurring outburst from my family. And I could see that they had been taking advantage of my love for them. And when I had the unmitigated gall to say something, that triggered them. And they then exploded on me. And of course, when people don't want to be accountable for their actions, they project by telling you, You're not a victim. You caused me to to mistreat you like this. And that's really what was going on. I I also realized that each of these emotional explosions smothered my voice in a way that all I could do was try to shield myself from more of their verbal abuse. I'm all messed up now. I mean, five different times by five different people over a five month period. I'm wondering what the hell is the universe trying to tell me? In the revised version of my book, Giving Myself Permission, Putting Fear and Doubt in their place, I talk about the importance of self-reflective curiosity, which is a non-judgmental third-person introspection. So as I stepped back as a third-person observer of each of these interactions, I could hear my voice. The undertone of my responses was pleading, damn near begging them to love me. Now, while I I didn't say it, I wasn't saying those words, but the quality of my words, the tone of my voice was saying, I've done everything I can to prove that I love you. Why can't you love me? I love you. Please love me. That's the energy that was coming across. And then I got angry at myself and started angry crying. I felt ashamed of myself and I was pissed off because I didn't stand in my space as the matriarch of my family. I didn't shut my sister down when she started her bullshit. Instead, I amped up my efforts in trying to prove my love for them. In my anger, I started focusing on what the universe wanted me to learn. Remember, I'm always saying we are never victims of life's events. We are always students of purpose. So I wanted to know, what am I supposed to learn here? And that's when my divine allies gently asked me, what do you want, Penny? And they said it in a way as if I had been disregarding myself. I should have been able to answer that question almost immediately, but I couldn't. So then I got angry at myself again. I've spent so much time and emotional energy ensuring I was available for my family so they got what they wanted or needed, sometimes at the expense of my own happiness. I didn't have a flipping clue what I wanted, so it made me angry. I had to ponder that question for a few days, and then I responded, I want to know And embrace the truth of myself so that I can be free. I want people in my life who want me in their lives. Who don't expect me to beg, prod, or prove I'm worthy of love and appreciation. I want people in my life who accept who I really am right now. And will give me grace and consideration when I'm not at my best. And I want to share an experience of a mutually unconditional loving relationship on this physical plane. Then damn near immediately, my divine allies responded with, the kind of love you want will not find you because in your current state, you're looking for a savior, not the true nature of love. You want to experience unconditional love from another but have you experienced unconditional love from yourself?" And I was like, damn, ouch, ah, that truth cut right to the core. (laughs) So what also bothered me was, when did I get to this place of being fearful of asserting my authority as a parent, pleading with my family to love me? So I went into practice of self-reflective curiosity again. This time, I was curious about what might have caused me to lose my maternal authority and courage to the point of valuing my adult children and grandchildren's well-being more than I valued myself. When did I rationalize in my mind that it was okay for them to demean me and to have no regard for my psychological or physical well-being? Again, it wasn't long before I got the answer. My divine ally said, when you lost your store, you lost yourself. That statement stopped me in my tracks. I'm telling you, I literally sat down in a chair. It felt like something that had been lodged deep within me had just been flushed out. And as it came out, I had to deal with it. And that's when my Sankofa journey began. Now, Sankofa means it's not taboo to go back and fetch what you forgot. This intentional journey into our past is to retrieve valuable information from our experiences. Now, Sankofa is usually referred to from a cultural perspective within the black community, uh, where the community in uh, in and of itself goes back into our uh, history to bring back those things that were valuable to our, our, sense of being as black Americans. But I believe it can also be an individual practice. In this practice, we go back within our memories to get valuable information from emotionally painful experiences. Because too often we forget to bring the lessons of those experiences to our current life. Instead, what we bring forth is the pain and that pain haunts us. It doesn't do us no damn good whatsoever but that's what we bring forward. But the power of Sankofa is based on this. To know your history is to know your current self and the world around you and how to bring about the highest good of both. Let me just say this. There is one caveat to doing your Sankofa journey. We must start the journey with a prayer for truth. And what I do is I ask my divine allies to help me see, hear, and embrace the truth that sets me free. Just a short prayer, nothing big, all right? Because otherwise, the information we bring back with us from that journey will be more of the same distorted bullshit that keeps us prisoners to our own pain and illusions. So I'm gonna slow down because I wanna share with you the inward Sankofa journey I engaged in that day. Now, the loss that my divine allies were referring to was my intimate apparel store that i owned for over nine and a half years i had been in business for about seven years at that time and i had met this guy and started dating him he was very talented um he was a minister of music at his brother's church and he claimed that he came from a a spirit-filled godly family and he was a godly man we start dating. He's in music. He would share with me his dreams about having his own music production studio. And I had always asked God, because he had blessed me so with my business. And I had always said to God that I wanted to bless another African-American person who wanted to be in business for themselves, but just couldn't afford it and didn't know how to do it. And so here's this guy sharing with me his dreams of having this music recording studio. I'm dating him and thinking, oh, we can be this big power couple. It wasn't that simple minded. I also felt like this was diversifying my profits and that the monies that we would make in that business would then come back and support and be pouring into my business. So it wasn't just simple minded. Oh, I just want to help you. There was rationale behind it. But little did I know that this guy was a scam artist. He was an opportunist. He was very charismatic, put on a great show, but, uh, it would be later on that I would find out this grand show and this facade he had was funded by the trail of women that had came before me. And now I had just gotten caught up in the same web as these other women. So the whole agreement was, which we agreed and signed papers on that as the monies came in off the top, he would reimburse me 40%. So we had put together a business plan and we went to the bank told them to look over and they said, well, yeah, this seems like something that we would invest in after a certain period of time. Now I have given him thousands of dollars to start this business and I'm not talking about 10,000, 20,000. I'm talking about big number thousands to get all of his musical equipment and Build out the building and all of this stuff. This was coming out of the profits from my store. Every time I wanted to pull out of it, he was like, no, no, God wants you to do this. You're disobeying God. And at that time, I was really trying to be in line with God. And he started making money almost immediately as the business plan had showed. The 40% that we had agreed and signed on, that did not happen. It wasn't coming back to me. I'm seeing him live it up. He's balling and shot calling. He bought a Jaguar car, taking people out to lavish dinners and and ghosting me completely. Every time I would say something to him about it, he would go into this whole God thing and I would feel this spiritual guilt. And I get reports that he's now seeing a whole nother woman. Now my business is really struggling. And I say to him, give me my money. And the more I said it, the more irritated he got. And now I have actually lost the business. The bank comes in, takes possession of all of my inventory. They just take everything. Froze my bank accounts, everything. I got no money and I'm standing there with nothing. So now I'm trying to struggle to save my house being foreclosed on and my car being repossessed. And I make one last ditch effort. And he then responds to me, listen, I'm trying to run a business. I do not have time to listen to you whining and your pitiful conversation and crying about what's going on with you. And he then just hangs up on me, his words and the click of that phone literally knocked the breath out of me. And I fell to the ground. But in retrospect, as I'm going through this Sankofa journey, now my spirit guides, They remind me of a time growing up, five of us girls, and my mother was a single parent. My mother never allowed us to fight. This one family was always picking on us and trying to pick fights. These were big people, and me and my sisters were scrawny little girls. We're sitting there in our yard, and they come up to our house, and they start throwing rocks. Like I said, my mother never allowed us to fight, but this time, she allowed us to fight. The two boys in the family decided that they were going to be the ones to whoop our ass. Me and my oldest sister was the one they were coming for. And so my mother says, cool, that's what you want to do so that this can be over. We're going to do this. She stood around so none of their other siblings wouldn't jump in. All of a sudden, this boy that I was fighting picks up this bat and he hits me dead center of my back and he hits me so hard. I fall to the ground and I cannot breathe. Lying there struggling, gasping for air. I hear my mother say, "Get up! You ain't dead!" And I'm like, "Is she kidding?" I'm standing, here, I'm standing here, grasping for her air. What she? So I heard her as I gathered my senses, and I slowly stand up. When she realizes that I am completely conscious, she then says to me, "Now go over there and kick his ass." It was as if she gave me permission. Something happened and clicked there, and sure enough, I kicked his ass. At that moment, as my divine allies are taking me back through this journey, I know that his statement and the click of the phone was just like that bat. So where did I lose myself when I lost my store? When the blow of those words and the click of that phone was the bat that hit me so hard that my whole being split apart. Not only did that asshole of a person kick me to the curb after he had gotten what he wanted, what made this even worse is my family and friends shunned me, labeled me a failure and abandoned me. This time there was no one there saying, get up, you ain't dead. No one was there to guard over me until I could gather my senses and stand up. No one was there to say, now go kick his ass. All of this came rushing back on this emotional Sankofa journey inward. My divine allies pointed out to me that the painful triggers I was experiencing now were because I had only brought the pain of that moment to my current life and had left the lessons behind. And while I carried the weight and sorrow of others turning their back on me, I had failed to see that I too had also abandoned myself. I left a part of my true self on the floor of my bedroom that day, gasping for air. And the shell of myself, the imposter self, took over and went into survival mode. My shattered self focused on trying to salvage the broken pieces of my life. There was no time to grieve what the loss and pain of my business did to me at a deep soul level. In survival mode, my shattered self had no time to consider my inner brokenness. It had no time to stand guard over me until I got my senses back and could stand up. There was no time to minister to my soul so that I could be healed. And I've been moving through life as a divided self ever since. To avoid the pain of abandonment that my whole self experienced that day, my imposter self overcompensated in every way. I went above and beyond to support everybody else so they would value me and not abandon me to prove I wasn't a failure that I was still valuable and worth loving. And what did my divine allies say to all of this after I resurfaced from the Sankofa journey, they said the unloving behavior of my children, grandchildren, and my sister was a means to isolate me, to get my attention. The hurt had to be deep enough so that my illusions of connection and close bonds could be shattered. They said, it's time to return and rescue your true self, Penny, so that you can be whole again and heal. I thought about the earlier revelation they shared, that the kind of love I wanted would not find me because in my current state, I was looking for a savior, not the true nature of love. And while I wanted to experience unconditional love from another, I had not experienced unconditional love from myself. My divine allies wanted to shatter my illusion that love would come and rescue me, give me a sense of safety and security, be my savior. They wanted me to see what I wanted was created out of fear. The true nature of love is never fearful and never possessive. True love is not simply an emotion or attitude. Instead, love's truest nature is a creative power that reproduces itself. Love can only be received and appreciated where it already truly resides within ourself as the core and source of our very being. In other words, if love is not already living freely within us coming from us, it cannot be reproduced outwardly. Freud even suggested that all love is self love. Therefore, the love and acceptance that we may experience from those outside of ourselves is nothing more than an extension of our relationship with ourself. Even the European Christian Bible says, Love others as you love yourself. So ultimately, loving ourselves is just a way of loving others. Now, regarding my want to experience unconditional love on this physical plane. Too often, the love we experience from ourselves and others is it, it's, it's conditional. It's based on behaviors we think will lead to acceptance, favor, achievement. This causes us to feel that love is not something we deserve because of who we are, but rather something we have to earn or prove ourselves worthy of. So as I return from my internal Sankofa journey, this time of self-reflective curiosity, I leave the pain behind. I bring forth the lessons and the wisdom I collected. So what were the lessons? First, All love is self love, and the love we experience from others is just an extension of our relationship with ourselves. Secondly, I am the one who must look into the mirror and decide from a place of infinite freedom to give myself permission to use the power within me in each moment to be the one who loves and heals myself. Thirdly, If I want to know love, I must know and love myself well enough to rescue me and heal me from my separation. And finally, the only question I really need to ask myself in any situation, regardless of whether it is emotionally explosive or not, is simply this. Do I want to experience love or do I want to experience fear? Ah, that music means it's time for The World According to Penny. Now, here's my closing thoughts. Like so many others, I have put things and people before myself in an emotionally unhealthy way. But I'm finally grasping the one truth that many of us dismiss, ignore, or minimize. The love we receive from others mirrors the degree of love we have for ourselves we can advocate for and encourage self encourage self care, body positivity, the acceptance of natural hair or stand against colorism and all the other isms in this society, but as long as we strive even in the simplest way to get from others what we think is lacking within ourselves, we will never know unconditional love from ourself or others at a soul level. Often, the lessons we get through emotional pain can be so intense that the only thing you can say is, I'm done. I'm done is a surrender. It is not a giving up and throwing in the towel. It's a surrender from the exhaustive fight to avoid, deny, or ease the anticipated pain of confronting or facing our truths. We are not giving up on ourselves or others, but rather we are relinquishing our attempts to run away from or mask the truth with our self deception and illusions of our fragile ego's alternate reality. So, my practice now is to stop all of my attempts of self deception and illusionary thinking. I relinquish the struggle to to prove to others that I love them, that I'm loving, and that I'm worthy of love. I am done giving my emotional energy to an imitation of life and love, and I'm focusing all of my attention on rediscovering and loving who I really am. This reminds me of the stage play, The Color Purple, the song, I'm Here. It's sung by the character Sealy. Of course, my favorite is when uh, Fantasia sings it. But at the end of the show, that's the song that is sung. And that song for me is an assertion that the character Sealy, she had finally attained the essence of self-love. She realized that she had lived through the eyes of others who viewed her as their tragedy, their misfortune. Defining her as unlovable. But she realized that all of her experiences, especially the painful ones, propelled her along a path to be reconciled with herself, her sacred expressive life force. So I really relate to Celie's assertion and rededication to herself. As I go through this process of reconciling, reaffirming, and recommitting to the part of me I abandoned years ago, I am going to affirm some of the lyrics of that song that resonates with me. I don't need you to love me. I don't need you to love. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to hold my head up. I'm going to put my shoulders back and I'll look you straight in the eyes. And I'm going to sing out. I'm going to sing loud. Because I believe I have inside of me everything I need to live a bountiful life. And with all the love alive in me, I can stand in the power God has given me. I'm thankful for each day that I'm given. Both the easy and the hard ones I'm living. But most of all, I'm thankful for finally learning to love who I really am. To know within me, I am loved, I am loving, and I am lovable, and that I am here for a reason. As always, remember, you are never the victim of life. You are always the student of purpose. So what skill or higher consciousness are you learning? What task or message are you being prepared for? I appreciate you tuning in to another episode of Straight Vibes, No Chasers. And I certainly hope you will keep listening and grow with me on this journey. So if you like the show, I'm going to ask you to please leave me a comment. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend about it. Now, I'm taking the next three months off in celebration of rediscovering myself and and doing the work that it takes to focus on me. I'm also taking this three months to celebrate my first anniversary of Straight Vibes, No Chasers. I've been doing this for a year now. So I'll repost my first July episode, and then I'll post other popular episodes um, during the other two months, but I will be back in October. But again, Thank you for listening. And as always, I leave you with my closing assertion for your life. You are, as spirit created you, endowed with power and authority to manifest positive outcomes and the divine wisdom to bring about meaningful change. Give yourself permission to think, trust, create, speak, and live your life's truth. Ashe.
0: You've been listening to Straight Vibes, No Chasers with Dr. Penny Murray. Listen and subscribe to our podcast from your mobile device with your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions, topic ideas, comments, or want to invite Dr. Murray to speak at your next event, go to contact us at pennymurray.com. We invite you to support the African-American inner wellness community, by donating to the Learning Spa Inner Wellness and Cultural Incubation Center.